Hey all, what's going on? You are listening to the Playing On Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and thank you for joining me. This episode is brought to you by Charm City Paintball head game guru Mike over at Charm City has been pumping out some awesome stuff. There's There's been a handful of pros now that are rocking all of his headbands, uh, his, his head wraps. It, I'm a big fan of fabric. I like thick fabric, denim, just this, you know, something that has some weight to it. Uh, you know, sublimation has come a long way as far as being able to pretty much print whatever the hell you want onto a t-shirt, onto a headband, onto pants, you know, whatever you want, name it, they'll put it on there. But for me, what I like as far as headgear goes is just sewn fabric thick stuff that will that will last and will will have a nice fade to it when you when you tie the headband on your head I want it to be nice and tight you just feel it just that's just me though it's kind of one of those things uh maybe it's an old school thing I don't know uh but Charm City Paintball has gone above and beyond I feel while what the industry is needed as far as headgear goes uh, I, I, you know, everybody knows who Sandana is, and I feel like um, Mike and Charm City have kind of filled that void. And I, I he has, I think, I think he's filled the void, and he's kind of spilled over because I feel like with integrating, uh, you know, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, uh, all these other fabrics that he finds and, and and designs have been have been awesome, and he's had nothing but great feedback. So. Uh, Make sure you guys check them out, Charm City Paintball, on Facebook as well as Instagram. And uh, I'll always support that dude. He's a great guy. And uh, if you guys want to, I did a podcast with him too. And it's uh, you can look back in the archives. But uh, but thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go over a couple other things too. Uh, Justin Rabikoff, also known as Jarab, uh, and Nick Laval have started their own podcast called Over the Top. And I listened to the first two episodes, and I think it's I think it's great. I think it's um, we need more content like that. I feel like you know the the more interactive that that we can be with fans, that we can be with the community, the better. And just the way they do it, uh, it's it's great. You know them kind of bouncing ideas back and forth and opinions, and and uh, you know they go through all kinds of of subject matter as far as tournament paintball, as far as teams, players. It's it's really concepts. It's it's really cool to uh, to hear, and I, I wish them the best. And make sure you guys go listen to it. It is over the top podcast with uh, with J Rap and Nick Laval. And in other news too, also uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Be Real did a podcast on on JRE, and they talked paintball, which what I thought was amazing for paintball. Even though even though Be Real was talking about like between 2005 and 2007 um uh seven man mppl which i feel was one of the 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 better formats and and leagues and experiences um you know it left uh you know a great impression on him and um you know i really wish he could get back involved i know he's super busy but we need more ambassadors like that we need more people to be vocal about it and i really didn't even think that they were going to talk about it but it was brought up, 
and they kind of went pretty well in depth into it. I thought I thought it was going to be kind of thrown to the side, uh, brought up and thrown to the side, but you know, you know, Be Real started getting more and more into it and talking about it, and Joe seemed really interested. And I mean, that's the thing; nobody knows really about the tournament side because when when Be Real was talking about it, Joe had no idea. And you know, I don't know if Jamie did or not, uh, but it was it was really cool to hear him explain kind of his love and his passion and and his addiction for it. That was equally addictive as Be Real's uh, martial arts addiction. So. I think that was cool to hear. I really hope it kind of puts some kind of energy boost in the league, uh, or in in the, in in paintball itself, uh, both recreationally and tournament side, because they were talking about tournament paintball. But uh, but yeah, I think I think it was really good, and and it's just awesome to hear. So and uh yeah, it's it's it was so cool. I, I was listening to it and I thought it was great, and it it we need more and more like that. So. Well, anyway, guys, this episode is with Rusty Glaze. I have played with his man. I have uh, played against him. I have on on the field as well as uh, played against his coaching style uh, when he started coaching Dynasty. It was it was really interesting to kind of hear what he's been up to, what he's been doing, his ideas and methods of coaching. I think you know have have been proven over and over again. I think that it, that this was an awesome podcast, and, and I had a great conversation with him, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. So here is the podcast with Rusty Glaze. Enjoy. I'm hardly ever down here only for, like, podcasts. Otherwise, I'm over, like, on my work workspace area, and... I collect too much shit, and it just starts accumulating over and over and over. All of everything is ridiculous. I'm purging. I'm moving in like a week, so I've been purging stuff. Where are you right now? Because your your thing, your Skype says uh, Chicago. Yeah, I'm in I'm in Chicago. Oh, so really? Frank, yeah, I've been here for like a year. Oh fuck, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How close to uh, Badlands are you? I I think I'm like 35, 40 minutes. Cause they're almost to Indiana, so yeah, I'm pretty close to them. But every time there's like practice or something to do, I'm going to San Diego, so yeah, it's not true. like I, even though I've been here for a year, I've never even gone out there really. Yeah, just busy. And when yeah. winter comes, forget about that. <laughs> there's no reason, <laughs> dude. That's why it's no. it's such a kind of a shit show when it comes to like the beginning of the season and then kind of towards the end of the season for for teams that don't have any indoors. It's like, dude. Just going out there and trying to, uh, you know, practice and have a decent practice. You're like fighting each other along with the elements. And I mean, I know everybody's like, oh, it's a bunch of excuses, but it fucking sucks. Going to try and get motivated yeah. in like 20 degree weather for a tournament. It's like, it's not good. Yeah. You're already just sad. You're not feeling good all together. And then <laughs> no. you start shooting each other up. It's, yeah, forget about that. Yeah. We get mad at each other. And then, like, it's nice though, because once you get to the event, it's like, Oh my God, like it's so nice. It's so warm. And then you got to kind of acclimate yourself to that weather in like a day. And yeah. <laughs> so what's up? What's new, man? How you been? Good, man. I just been busy getting, you know, the move together. Now I'm moving to Arizona is the next move. What's in Arizona? So we're moving for? to the feet. Warm weather. 
<laughs> closer to California. So it'll reduce my time to travel to practice. And then it's just, we liked it when we were on that big road trip. We went on a big road trip for three and a half months. And then we discovered that we liked Texas and uh, Arizona. So we uh, found a good spot there. Jessica has some family there. So we just yeah. picked it as a spot to go. Were you guys just traveling those three months, just trying to find somewhere where uh, you want to kind of settle? We just planned like a ma- – yeah, kind of. We just planned – after I left Canada, we planned a massive road trip to loop all around the U.S. And uh, we went down to the Winter Classic thing, visited my parents' Tennessee, over to Texas, just kind of looped like all the way down, around, up, and back. Yeah. And, and three kids in the car. So we did a whole <laughs> oh, man. three kids, massive uh, Griswold's road trip. And I only stayed in a hotel like three nights on the whole trip. So friends, really? paintball friends, family. Yeah. We were able to visit tons of people's pretty incredible trip. That's, but that's through that, sweet. we figured out that we liked Phoenix a lot. So I've heard them from quite a few people that, that Arizona and the Phoenix area, Albuquerque too. I have some family in Albuquerque that, that they just love it. It's not too hot. It's not, that's not the humid hot that, you know, that you find in Florida. <laughs> I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. No, not, not all the bugs and all that. I mean, we like California. That's where mm-hmm. we both live for a while, but it's super expensive right now. Yeah. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. Tough to get back to. So what were you doing in, uh, what were you doing in Canada? Uh, I was working at Badlands doing marketing for them. So my work permit was three years and then that ran out and we decided just to come back to the States. And now so you have you, Constant Pursuit, right, is is your company that you uh, that you run? Yeah, so I started my own company developing websites for paintball parks. Mm-hmm. I saw a big gap in websites and parks, and I figured that, you know, has direct effects on participation and moms wanting to book parties and everything. So I, I sought to fix that problem and make it easy for fields to, you know, get a website, work with someone they could trust, and and really just remove the, the work off their off their hands. So I do fully managed websites. I build them and then I manage them the entire time. Oh really? Through like a service contract. Yeah. You alone or do you, or do you have anybody, uh, any employees? I, I do have people now. Yeah. I've sort of grown it enough to, to start parting out some of the labor and I got enough clients that there's plenty of work to do. So that's awesome. Yeah. And then I like it. It's cool. I feel like it's like bar rescue. Like I go in and, and <laughs> save their, yeah. redo their whole website and, and they give me pretty good control on doing it, so it's fun. It's cool too with something like that. I feel like you can do what you guys did, where you can travel, uh, you know, travel the U.S. and not have to worry about anything like having to go back to you know back to the office or anything like that. You can actually make time for the family while working wherever you are. And I mean, that's yeah, kind of the it's, ultimate. It's, I uh, I launched the company a couple months before I went on the massive road trip so like my early clients it was sort of a a bit of trust I'm like hey I'm going to be on this road trip but I work wherever you know so on the road trip I'd open up my laptop run off a hotspot and just be working and doing updates and building websites so like all my early clients know they're like you know I just work wherever airplanes doesn't matter I just as long as I connect to wi-fi then I'm working so it was kind of an early like stress test the whole thing (laughs) to yeah. just be on the road and i learned where there was wi-fi like louisiana has horrible wi-fi like you just <laughs> when we're driving to there and i was like well i'm toast there's yeah. no wi-fi for a long stretch so but uh it was fun it was cool so now, now i know you know i could work wherever which is cool i think that there's two because i'm trying to find that same thing trying to figure out a, a way to be able to work from home but i know that there's pros and cons because working from home is it's like 
you know, your home is now the office. So you're kind of working 24-7. You can set yourself up to only work, you know, X amount of hours or here and there. But it's like if there's an emergency, it's like, yeah, you're pretty much right there. You got to make it happen. Yeah, I feel like that's a balance, though. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, if you're working from home, you could be like, I'm going to go, you know, to the roller rink for an hour with my kids. And that's but I get all my work done. But then if I have to do something at night, you sort of balance it out. Like yeah. you justify the trade off. So it's like you get the work done. But sometimes it's like that's what makes you more reliable is like a normal office worker is never going to do that. But you could just be like, OK, yeah, no problem. Eight o'clock at night, you knock out some updates. Right. Whereas in an office, like they're waiting for the nine to five, but you trade it off where you're just like, you know, go do something and kind of run your own schedule. So, yeah, I think that's a balance and, and you got to like, it, it's challenging for sure. Jess will be, oh, why are you doing something? But I'm, you know, but those times where she's like, can you help me with the kids or can you do that? And it all sort of balances out. Yeah. But, but it's cool. Now, do you have, it takes a Oh, I bet. I mean, I can't imagine the the, the balancing act uh, with the kids and everything. I mean, the flexibility is nice, but it's also you're you're kind of tethered at the same time. So it's yeah. I didn't. Uh, I always say like at the at the office at Badlands, I didn't have to wipe anyone's butts, but here, <laughs> exactly. you know, I have to, I have to help. <laughs> I was talking to Bruno because I I just had a daughter, and I was talking to Bruno, and my my, uh, my son's three, and he said. Yeah, I know you're potty training your kid, and you think it's bad now having to deal with diapers and everything, but wait till they think they can wipe their ass on their own, and they come to you and like, I did it, Daddy, all done. And they have shit all over their hands. And yeah, yeah, everywhere. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I just had wait. to, uh, I just bribed, uh, I've been I've been helping my kids, and one of them's seven, one's five, but I just told one of my kids I'll pay him if he learns to do it himself. So he's on like a... <laughs> He's on an up to $50 training program that he's earning to phase himself out. That's one way to <laughs> My do daughter's it. like, no, I don't care. That's not worth the money. <laughs> but my son's like, yeah, I'll do that. And yeah, now he's, he's been doing it himself. So that's funny. Like 50 bucks. So did, uh, did you have a background in web design or is it, is it no, more it's, it's, management? It's, no, it's more like uh, marketing. More my marketing. Yeah. More marketing. But I, I know that the website is such a huge piece of marketing. Mm-hmm. And I just that I just learn things. I just figure out how to do things, how to make things work. And it's a focus on conversion and getting people, putting the message there and those parts of it. So I learned how to do that stuff through being a marketing director and everything. I learned, I helped Badlands build their site. I learned a lot of different things. Yeah. So then I took those on so I could do this and then pitched it to a couple of people and said, this is what I want to do. And then I got some people on board and then went from there. I, yeah, I think like a coding background web designing background it's more yeah. like i know i know paintball and i know marketing and i create websites that tie those two together i think it's just knowing how to get shit done you know in a, in a timely fashion and uh you know I, I think that this goes to show too you know a lot of people who are trying to get things going on their own who who think they need to know everything before they get into a position it's it's so not true you you learn so much um you know, you obviously bluff a little bit on, on what you know, but you try, you, it's learning on the go so much with, I think with any occupation and, you know, you have to be willing to learn at every single opportunity that you have to be able to expand your knowledge and expand your, your worth to whatever company that you're working for. Yeah, for sure. You get, you just gotta, you gotta just jump in with both feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my first couple of builds took me the longest. Obviously I've gotten a lot better and more efficient. I've, I've documented the steps and I know how to do it faster and better now, but 
Yeah. It's like, I just had to pitch it, get some people and just essentially, I didn't have sites to show them. Like, here's what I built. I just kind of explained what I want to do and put up my own site just to like, but I didn't spend too much time in that. It's just, yeah. let's see if this thing's going to work and get it going. If it doesn't stick, then I got to do something else. Right. I know I wanted to do it and I wanted to put every, all my effort behind it, but obviously you could want to do something, but if no one's trusting you enough to, you know, help fund that effort, then it's, <laughs> yeah. you got to move on, you know? <laughs> so I've been pretty lucky. I've been steadily growing and I got, I work with a lot of great clients and fields, which is cool. Cause I get to work with all these people and communicate with them. It's not like I'm, communicating with plumbing websites and everything. I'm pretty focused on paintball fields. I've done random sites, but that's not my like crowd that I constantly communicate with. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to be able to work with all these fields and communicate with them. And, yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. But I'm sure the transition, honestly, like not that it, not that paintball fields or anything paintball related wouldn't be there, but I'm sure the transition to uh, recreational, you know, municipal anything would not be that tough if need be, you know, I'm not saying that, it, you know, yeah. The, I mean, that. the frameworks, the framework's the same. So if people come to me and they're like, can you build a site? I'm like, yeah, I can build you a site. Information's information. But I don't go find those people. Right. Which is smarter because I can keep, you know, I can keep my focus on, you know, what works for one field is going to work for the next one or the next one. So mm-hmm. like if the bigger, I keep building the crowd, the more things I can roll over and help more sites. Cause my, my goal is not to, I didn't want to start a website company i wanted to help fields have better websites right so my goal is every time i get a new field it's like good because i'm going to help them get more business and more people playing paintball so the core of what i'm doing is is focused on that so it's not like i'm not super stoked to get a plumbing website because it's like okay more people get their plumbing kits so you know that's not that doesn't drive me the same Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the why i started it so do you think that as far as tournament paintball goes do you think that there is because uh, you were talking about filling a gap that that was missing, that communication gap, or that that kind of that link that was missing for fields to the moms and the the general public out there. Do you think that's what kind of turn, tournament paintball is missing? You think it has a gap to 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 hit the general public as much? Because I mean, we I'm sure you still get it to where people come up to you and they say, "Oh, professional paintball or tournament paintball that's a that's a thing." Like I feel like at this point. It's it's so it's so sad. I feel to me that at this point there's still people questioning that you can do this at a at a high level with when there's so much crazy bullshit out there that people are like, oh yeah, they, you know they know about uh, a professional tag or whatever or all these other things that are happening. But I feel like paintball just seems to still be in this bubble that is never going to burst or hasn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's probably a lot of factors to that, but like. I work with a lot of successful paintball parks and there's a handful of them that don't even have tournament paintball at all. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a sense of like tournament players essentially have made it difficult for fields to make money having airball fields. They have to buy turf fields. They have to maintenance. Like they have to do all these things to have a tournament field to then not make money. Right. So then they're like, why have this? So then they get rid of it. And then your average Joe person doesn't see that or experience that it's only at select fields that you would go that there would be a practice. And even some of those have so far isolated the tournament fields, the airball fields away from the reg, the regular business. Yeah. Whereas before you could like, when I grew up playing, I went to the, I went to the recreational school field. That was a speedball field. And there was teams practicing on it. We also played recreational paintball on it. It was the same field. 
Right. So the transition of going from recreational paintball into now playing a speedball tournament version was very easy. Now it's like, now you have to leave this version you started playing that's like combat. And now you have to go over here to these brightly colored guys and inflatable bunkers. It's a, it's like comparably going from street skateboarding to vert ramp skating. And when you look at it, you're like, no, I don't want to do that. Like those guys are yelling at each other. Their guns sound fast. Like that's like how people view like vert, vert ramp skating. It's like, I don't want to drop in on a 13 foot bowl. I don't know how to do that. It's right. way far from what I'm doing. But the earlier transitions of woods ball and, and transitioning into that kind of tournament play was easy because you're already doing it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like the view of, of the bridge that's kind of been broken was this move into like X ball. Even the formats moved so far away from like what you would play when you first go and play. Right. You know, you're just playing basic capture the flag, elimination kind of stuff. Now we have this whole, I don't, I don't know that it's bad, but I know that like the starving of the profits of the field has definitely removed it on a wider scale. So the less tournament fields you have to play at, the fields that support tournament paintball, the less exposure you're going to have and you're going to lessen the funnel of people that are going to do that. Mm-hmm. If I live 20 minutes from a field, they don't have tournament paintball. I will never experience that because I don't know it. So I yeah. may never drive 40 minutes to the next field. You know what I mean? So every field would need to be exposing tournament paintball to grow that pie. That's See, that, my, that's my take on it. That's, that's what I was thinking too. I didn't know if it would be, I hate to put responsibility on, on, on companies or teams or anything like that, but do you think it would be the NXL, the NXL's responsibilities to maybe try and contact fields to provide them with maybe, let's say, um, uh, I don't want to say banners, but some kind of, some kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? NXL and professional player stuff showing that, you know, professional players are out there. Like if you go to a skate shop or if you go to a snowboard shop or something like that, there are, there are posters and banners of professional players. Even if you, if you just started skateboarding and you go in there and you look up on the wall, you go, Oh, people are doing this at a high level. You know what I mean? Right. Or is it the field's responsibility to try and, but, but, but I feel like they don't care whether or not, you know, they have posters on the wall of pro players or not. But, but I feel like that that's a gap that needs to be filled too. Cause I feel like everybody needs to work together because what we're doing now is fields are doing great. It's working. And I feel like paintball as a tournament, as the, the, the era of tournament paintball now has kind of been, it's, it's weird. It's bigger than it's ever been, but I feel like it's still at a plateau. You know what I mean? It still feels mm-hmm. the same. And you and I have been in it for a while. And, you know, it. me only being retired for, you know, not even a year yet, I still feel like even that last season, it still felt the same that it did uh, how many years ago. Like, it, it just hasn't really, like, torn over. Like, why has Greg Hastings gone completely away from tournament, tournament ball and doing his own thing? Like, why, why can we not coincide with, um, with big games or, or try and work together with fields and, and, and show people the tournament side of paintball. So the, so like the ultimate event would be to have like a big game and a tournament on the same site, right? That's what I think. That would be your most, you get a, you get a game that has 3000 people already there playing paintball. And then you have a tournament there drawing another 2000 people and you have this big event. The real wide gap in that is the cost of paint. That's a lot of area. Your too. field and you're selling paint at a decent margin and then you're a tournament and you're giving away the paint or selling it at cutthroat margins. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you're a big game and you're successful and you're making, you know, a big chunk of money doing that, why would you want to invite this other um, tournament there? Why would you, why would you care to need that? Mm-hmm. Like now you have this guy's getting, you know, I don't want to say price to paint, but you know, it's going to be low prices compared to the big game. So then you have that. So it's like these guys over here get to pay this much for paint. These guys over here have to pay this much for paint. Like why would you want to introduce that? So I feel like tournament paintball itself has bled, so much profit and, and, you know, everyone's just fighting for the race to the bottom. It's like the field owners sort of, they get away from having as a practice field. They don't want to have those events at their, at their facilities because they, they make money doing that. Mm -hmm. Why don't they want to hang up a banner of a pro player? What's a direct benefit for them? There's not the, the reason skateboarding does that is because that guy helps you sell the product or the deck or or drives interest. Right. So there's not that, we don't make that connection because the money doesn't connect. Mm -hmm. So if you're a field owner, you're just, you have so many fires to put out and so many things to do. And all of them have to revolve around uh, making money so you can pay your staff and run your business. Right. So then you add these extra elements and it's like, they're more like headaches that are nonprofits. So you really like have to love tournament paintball. Like if I had a field, I would obviously set up, a tournament field and I would go out there and work with players like that's part of my passion if you're a field owner that's not connected in a way to a tournament team or whatever you're quickly just going to be like no you're going to look at your books you're going to look at where all your problems are coming from and you're just going to like let's just shut that down or let's put hyperball up or let's let's change it to something that's easier and yeah that we can use for our rec players what do you think the ratio is what what do you think the ratio is to fields out there who who have tournament fields compared to fields who do not who just have rec fields uh it's probably like 10 to 20 percent i mean we should like why don't we have a uh field locator for tournament fields to know where a tournament play is i don't know there's nothing exists like that. could be in the mix yeah <laughs> yeah i've i've thought it's of a probably few like things that i'm trying to figure out 20 percent you know yeah. and then you see people get in it get out of it they have their air ball they're not doing much with it then they decide to make a push or whatever but mm-hmm. I feel like that just comes down to, you know, involving people that have the infrastructure in, in local tournaments, three-man tournaments, five-man tournaments. I think that's the thing. I think that's what the fields are missing uh, is is actually working together with other fields around the area. And I think that's what keeps – I think that's what keeps local tournament paintball alive uh, is is some kind of regional event and local events with, with you know, fields from close nearby. But what I've seen out of those – it's like there's good local series, but then there's people that don't want to travel to national events, uh-huh. but they're really good in their local series. But they like only which isn't a terrible thing, I guess. Isn't terrible, but they dominate the the local. Like you're supposed to dominate your local series and then go compete, like climb the ranks. Uh-huh. They don't. They just sit in the. They just sit in the local series. So it's then a it's lot like cheaper to compete those, in the local series. <laughs> yeah, but then they should start to open up more divisions. Like yeah. they just have it. Like you're at d4 d3 these people should be playing d2 d1 but they're just still d3 just kind of hanging around jumping on different teams but like you know obviously dominating the Mm. you're having fun i'm sure because you're just crushing the uh upcoming people but yeah it just almost seems like now it's getting stale because these people have been in the the local scene at the highest level of d3 for too long Mm -hmm. so those people need to but they're not going to push out because they're like it costs money to it's more expensive to go to national tournaments so yeah I don't know how to fix the system. It's just what I've seen is there's some people that say, dude, you're still playing in these. Like, like you've been here a long time, you know? 
yeah. four or five years of this. Like you should have done something else at this point. But that's the trap because there used to be uh, amateur, like not there used to be like higher levels locally. Now it's like mm-hmm. lower levels locally. Like D three is like your highest D two in some regions, but mostly you see like D four D three, beginner five man D four D three. Like that's your yeah. local. So yeah, we have local series, but they're really low on the um, divisions. Yeah, so it's not. There's we no have open local class. series There's... with like D one D two. So then once you reach those levels, you obviously need some support, you're traveling and you, and you're, it's just, just going to cost you more. So you're a bit more committed at that point. See, and that's, what's tough about like being in a position like I am where I would, I would love because there's not very many other pros around like where I am. So, yeah. but I, I can't go out and play and have fun mm-hmm. with some of my friends, like in an open tournament, because a lot of them don't have open tournaments. So I'm, I'm played out of my ranks. And I can't even right. participate. I'm like, I just, it's just me. Like, I'm not coming to like rip people's heads off. Like, I just want to come have fun. Like, I'll play with yeah. my emec or something. Like, I don't care. I just want to play paintball. That's it. But it's like, yeah, yeah. You're in the, you're in the retirement trap. You're like, yeah, yeah. I know you retire from playing professionally, but then it's like the space for you to play is you could go to a big game and shoot 300 people, but that's not going to fill your desires of what you no. want to do. No, no, no. See, that's the thing is like a lot of people will say ten minutes. Well, that's good. Ten, yeah, I am going to be playing ten man. Like that's, I'm excited about that because it 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 will bring me kind of to what I'm closely related to as far as gameplay. You know, everybody's like, oh, you should play, you should play woods and you should play big games. I'm like that, that doesn't really do it for me. Like I'm, I'm not, I didn't come up playing woods, so it's like it's not, it's not really that fun for me. I'll play hyperball, like that's super fun, um, but it's just, I don't know. And even shooting, even uh, having to shoot a mechanical marker. Like, I still have to get used to doing that. Like, I'm still not really used to doing it. Like, I shot a Tipman forever, but I guess not really forever. But yeah, I just bought. I just bought. Like, I actually paid my own money, which I haven't done in a long, long time. <laughs> but I bought one of those. Uh, you Eclipse, just made a bunch of new kids really mad. One of those Eclipse. Uh, what's the What's the Eclipse gun? That's like the beginner gun. The E Tech, or the E Mech. No, not. It's not even electronic. What's the one below that? Yeah, the the E Mech is the one that's not electronic. Yeah, I got the mechanical one. That's like so. There's a two hundred dollar. Uh, yeah, the emec. Yeah, the e- yeah, dude. That thing is solid. Yeah, so I so Dy- a lot of guys on Dynasty got that. Some of the old school ten man guys got it, and so I felt peer pressure, and I had to get one too. So okay, so, so I have that. Is it the slide frame or is it the hinge trigger? The single trigger one. I don't know. I don't I haven't even got it yet. I oh you uh, haven't. I got oh, it. Dude. No. If it's the emec, I missed the uh, last ten man. If it's the emec man, it's. I that's all I shoot now. That's the only that's yeah. the only thing that no, I shoot. They, they, those guys, I give those guys credit. They made a great uh, rental gun out of that thing. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. With that Easy with that PAL loader system, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I I don't like I you know I watch people make products. I'm like same 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 same. I gave the I you know I told Jacko I said that's dude that's an awesome gun. A lot of fields are going to want that. Mm-hmm. So I give them props. That's like new innovation. Like you don't see that much new innovation is my point. You just see like right. the same thing. Okay. Another rental gun. They actually innovated that loader to work and it sort of satisfies the not having to do the shake and bake for, mm-hmm. I think it's a good experience for the rental. So that's why I pay attention because I'm like, okay, this is a gun that's going to be quality and it's going to improve the experience of the average player. Absolutely. Yeah. So, ease of use is, is through the roof now with that thing. And it's just, yeah. it's incredible. Innovation in paintball is so poor. It's like 
we've invented like high-end guns and we keep making another high-end gun another high-end gun we keep making like faster loaders that we don't need like how we've not solved the problem of a goggle that doesn't fog for a rental player Mm -hmm. like the basics of like you know uh like eclipse made this gun and made a loader that goes with it that's like innovative and that's good because we haven't innovated on that level in forever although that was smarter than but like you know we need a we need a goggle that doesn't fog. So when someone goes and plays for the first time, they don't fog up and they think yeah. this sucks. I wouldn't like, suppose those are basics that we got to fix. I wouldn't be surprised if they sell more Emacs than they do um, CS2s. Oh, they will for sure because the 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 size of the funnel on that level is way bigger mm-hmm. than on the other side. So they're going to sell a ton of those models, and fields will have them for rentals. So then people will rent them and say this is cool, and they'll get their own. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I think they're amazing. Very well. Sure. That reminds me, remind me after the podcast to, to, I have a few things I want to talk to you about, um, a couple products. And then also I have a, uh, a tournament innovation that I want to kind of throw by you that I've been talking to a lot of pros about that kind of, Oh, it, for me, I thought about it and it was a way to kind of speed up the game, um, in a way to where, you know, there's so many, you know, there's so many bullshit things like the bounce shots, you know, the, the people just sitting and shooting their markers, shooting the bounce shots and everything. And, they, you know, if people are ahead by a couple points and don't want to don't want to move, they have no incentive to move because they're up by a couple points. So they can just kind of squat and squat and yeah, uh, control cross the game. it up. So I have something I want to talk to you about. I haven't really made it public yet or anything, but uh, okay. I got to write that down. Just to talk to you about it. Um, yeah. I, I want to talk to you about uh, kind of how you got into paintball and, and how that came from. The, I One thing I know that I don't know the entire story, but I know you, t- I don't know if you told me or you were telling somebody, but it, I remember whenever I hear Rusty Glaze, a pinwheel hat comes uh, comes in <laughs> mind. <laughs> like, yeah, I, don't know yeah, the, yeah. I don't know the whole story. So uh, how did you get involved in this crazy sport? So actually it's, it's kind of funny because my buddy uh, Josh Hill did like a janitor job over the summer. And the guy, I don't know why or how this happened, but the guy paid him with a Tipman um, ProLite. Mm. So he worked like as a janitor or helping out and somehow got paid with a paintball gun. I don't know if he wanted that or if the guy was just like, take this. <laughs> Not sure. Anymore. Yeah. But he had a paintball gun. So that was like, okay, let's go. Let's go use this thing and try it out or whatever. So we first started collecting paintballs and throwing them at cars. But that was like. That was fun for like two days, but we're like, okay, let's go to the paintball field because we went to the paintball field to collect the paintballs. Oh yeah. So like while paintball was during the week, we went there and we're collecting these paintballs or whatever, like loading up on them to do pranks on each other in high school and, and throw them while we're driving down the road or whatever. Oh yeah. But when we're out there, we're looking at this field. And we're like, well, this looks kind of fun. Look at all these like spots to hide and and like, okay, my buddy just got a gun, so let's get guns and let's come out here and come out here and play. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. Is we, then we went and played and it was like okay, this is super fun. Like, let's, like anyone, let's come again, let's come again, let's keep coming. So then me and my brother, we got pretty consistent on coming and then we turned into refs at the field so we could get discounts to play more. Everything was like, how can we do, what can we do to play more? So we got jobs at the field. So we got entry for free and like lessened our costs. So then we kept playing, playing, playing. And yeah. and then there was a tournament team called the Sitting Ducks and they we were playing, you know, recreational when they came up. By then we're dominating the fields in recreational because we know them and we know all the spots and all the secrets. Yep. So they came up and like, hey, we have a tournament team. You guys come try out. And we're like, okay, like, dude, that sounds intense. Like we see some of these tournament guys out here or whatever. And uh, we're like, okay, let's try out. So we go to the tryout and then like 
within like a game or two, we're like, yeah, like if we want to be on this team, we're definitely on this team. We were like far, far above the people that were trying out. It was like 20 people trying out. We're like, okay, yeah, we got this. And we're, yeah. What's the deal? So we ended up having a good like rookie team. And then I, it was a sitting duck. So they were like orange and yellow was like their stuff, flashy colors. And then I don't know how I ended up with this spinny hat, but I wore this spinny hat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were just rookies. We were dorks. So yeah. I had the spinny hat. My brother had a yellow and orange goggle. Like we were kind of flashy. And uh, I did. I wore that my whole rookie year. And, you know, I got a lot of attention. But after that, you know, we stopped playing the sitting ducks and we went to this team called Asylum. And they were more like OD, tan, like those were their colorways. So what we were wearing kind of didn't fit. And also, I didn't want that to be like a thing. Like it was fun for my rookie season, but I didn't want to be like, a token player i wanted to just play good and and shoot people and and try and win get better i didn't want yeah. it to also be the sideshow of like oh that's the spinny hat kid or anything like that so i sort of just abandoned that and uh we saw a magazine pgi and greg posey was jumping over some inflatable and he had this headband on and before then access to like sandana headbands and all that that was like not as you know easy pro shops just didn't carry that kind of stuff yeah. so what we did was we just took like a pair of canvas um uh, khaki pants and we just cut it long ways and we went to like the local um shop and they embroidered stuff on it and sewed it up for us nice and then we made our headbands. so then we had these headbands that we made and then we made a couple more for our team and we started wearing you know what the pros wore so mm -hmm. we saw these guys on the magazine and we just went and imitated them and that's sort of where I ditched the look and became a little more serious looking, you know, you know, the look plays in the part. Oh, yeah. So when people see you, okay, he looks the part. Oh, Andy can play paintball. Okay. Like it starts to get you a little different notice. So I wore a, do I wore a black and white do rag when I first started playing <laughs> like, like straight do rag, like out of the, out of the gas station <laughs> and with a, with, it was a bright yellow, uh, evil headband over top of that. It, uh, it, yeah, it was, did. it was a terrible look, dude. It was terrible. <laughs> But if it fit your region and what guys are wearing, then then it was fine. No, I don't think they. I don't think anybody was doing. I, was, it. I think I was. The, <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure I was made fun of everywhere. <laughs> I'm glad I grew out of that one. Yeah, you know, you phase out. You do things in your year. It's okay. Mm -hmm. So, but it was cool actually. Like when I was actually a walk on, uh, we saw the Avalanche playing the Ironman on at Camp Pendleton, and I saw the Soy go for a mound, bunker Davy Williamson, and just like blast him up. And we oh, were just really? walking recreational game and we're like dude these guys are nuts and then and then they're screaming at each other and oh, you you're an idiot get off yeah. the field and like you know and we're just like we just came off like a fun recreational game and we're like dude what, look at these guys like that's crazy and then the soy was like oh really he had an angel which mm -hmm. back then was no one had that like that was hot so he's like oh here he hands us his angel and he's like we're like shooting like at a building and we're like dude check this thing out and we're all just like noobs mm -hmm. and then like half later i'm on avalanche <laughs> that's so crazy so it's dude. like the path you know the path to like where you end up is like you know you come across some player that's playing recreational in two years could be on a pro team mm -hmm. just depends how like committed and how hardcore you go into it but yeah. it's funny it's like you know they're a pro team i'm just a recreational newbie and i'm shooting his angel and then not much long after that i'm playing on the same team <laughs> at that time i wouldn't have known that but it's funny to no. look back and think that's that's pretty funny that's so nuts dude do you ever think about like i always think about this like they always say paintball on its heyday and this and that and i think i always wonder what it was like to play in those big tournaments when like when players were just 
above like just huge stars and and teams were just massive and and all the guys that we looked up to and and you looked up to like when like the mid to late 90s like when paintball was just like this this massive thing like it looked it looked goofy but it was it was huge like i always wonder what it was like to to play back then against those guys like not with not with my athletic ability but but just to be amongst and to to see the scene and be a part of the scene. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I, I was in that scene towards the end of it mm-hmm. before like 10 man faded away. And like league wise, I was known as FNG because I was on avalanche and they only like really picked up other professional players. So then they brought on, I was, I went from novice to avalanche. So there, I was a nobody. And then they picked me up. And, and all the people, obviously, on the other teams were like, who the hell is this guy? Fucking new guy. And all, not just my team was calling me fucking new guy. Everyone <laughs> in the league was calling me that because I'm this random that's now on like a top-tier team out yeah. of nowhere. So And then I, I got on with all the stars of Avalanche, and I'm, I'm playing with those guys. And I think what, what the big difference now and then is the access to those guys was way more limited. Like, you didn't have social media. You couldn't follow their lives outside of the tournament. So... Mm-hmm. It was a bit more um, exclusive, magical. Yeah, a little more exclusive, more magical. Like if you went to a tournament, you saw these guys interacting. But now you're sort of watered down. Like if you want to follow Ryan Greenspan, you can like you could live his life almost through his social media with him. Mm-hmm. So once you see him, you're still like you know he's still super famous and, and it's cool to see him. But like you have a, a bit more knowledge about what he's up to and, and kind of get a sense of knowing him. Whereas back then you see like, you know, I go and there's Todd Adamson and Billy Saransky on Aftershock and you only see him in the magazines and you only see him like if you're at a tournament, you see him and you're just like, you can't go up and interact with them. You don't, you don't know that much about them. So it's like uh, yeah. more exclusive than it is now. Yeah. Now it's a bit more, you have a bit more access, you know, people message you online or send you messages and you communicate back with them. Back then there wasn't as much access. So it made them a little, it put them on a, a, a little more of a pedestal Yeah, and gave them a little more effect. Yeah, but I, it was, you know, there was big money in it too back then. You know, I, I, guys still get paid pretty well. Like there are teams that are funded and guys get paid. Some guys probably get paid more than guys back then, but you felt like a pro. Like when I first got on Avalanche, I literally came home from the first tournament and I laid out everything I got from the tournament. It was like three jerseys, two pairs of pants, two loaders, two barrels, two hoppers, like two goggles, like. I laid out like a full on like yard sale of everything that I got from just going to the tournament. It was mm-hmm. like, they like showered you with all the stuff. Like you felt like a pro the sponsors were giving you. Now it's like, you know, we have good sponsors where like, if I need something, they'll give it to us. But this was like, they just gave it to you without asking. Yeah. It was like, there's rain product on you. No problem. We want you to wear all this stuff. Now it's like, you know, everything's more structured and it's, you know, obviously things are different now, but, that was a cool part about like, you know, you're on this pro team and now here's all this stuff. Yeah. And that side of, you know, you're getting paid or doing whatever. Yeah. I feel like, uh, players now are a lot more in charge of their direction and destiny as far as how big they want to be or how popular they want to be because of social media. And I feel like there is that, you know, at first I thought that, uh, you know, that whole transition of when guys who they were back then and not really knowing about them unless I read about them in a magazine and then you saw them and it was like, oh my God. But now I feel like it's it's almost twofold on following somebody and then meeting them because you see them on a daily basis. It's like, I don't know if they're that much more in tune to what you're doing and they want to meet you, but 
I, but I kind of like that feeling of when you didn't really know too much about this person or that or that somebody that you looked up to, and and when you did, it was I think it was that much more special when you did meet him. Um, maybe I don't, I don't know. It's 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 hard to explain because it's it's just totally different world. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's definitely uh, it was definitely more exclusive back then. Yeah. You know, meeting these guys, and and now I ended up being friends with a lot of those guys when old school guys yeah. come around because I was at that like I was at that transition of it, so I know a lot of those guys and I can still talk to those guys. So it's cool to to interact with those guys who were like the guys ahead of me, mm-hmm. and they, now all these guys are coming to ten man tournaments and I get to see them and it's you know they remember me, I remember them. We can yeah chat and hang out, so it's cool. I think that's when I figured out that I I, I made it was when all the guys that I started that I looked up to and I and I were like knew of and and thought were you know the gods of paintball or whatever when they started talking to me and like becoming friends with everybody I was like man okay all right all right I've I, I made it yeah I mean you realize like you know they're just like you they uh-huh. enjoy competing and playing paintball and they're just dudes yeah yeah you've created sort of Thing in your mind to them they're just like okay you know just other they're just interacting people like them and competing and you rose to a level that was the same as them and now you have a common thread to to talk and interact with yeah so i think that's across the board like even with like celebrities and everything it's always this uh, whenever you see somebody who has succeeded in some way it's always you always make it seem like it's this uh this you know task that nobody could ever do and how did I can't believe you did it so you're you're this person this pro and this pro team like I don't know any pros and this and that when you talk to somebody it's like you made their day it's like man I'm just I'm just somebody who got lucky you know who who worked hard enough to make it and and lucky enough to be on you know x team or this or that and be able to know the people that I do and there it's it definitely comes down to hard work but then it, there's this transition transition of who you know it's the same thing in life i feel it's you know you make the relationships and you make these you build these bridges with people um the paintball community in general it's like you know we can go back to when you when you did your three-month trip you know if you hadn't built all those relationships with people in the paintball community it's like you would have been staying in a hotel for you know more than three nights yeah for sure i mean it's it is it is a massive club yeah like you compete against all these guys but you've been doing it for so long you're you're friends outside of the tournaments with them and you share a common bond. It's our tribe. Mm-hmm. So you're in the same tribe. You understand the grind. You understand how hard it is to make it there. You understand how even hard it is to succeed on that level. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this sort of common thread with all these guys so that you, you know, you can be friends with them and they under, you understand each other. It's our, this is our, our bubble that we live in and mm-hmm. you respect the other guys and, you know, we don't get paid millions of dollars to train all week long and, and, and do like other sports, but our sports no more arbitrary as a leather basketball going through a tiny hoop or a right. throwing a pigskin and tackling people. It's they're all every sport is like a golf sport is whacking this white ball and, and making it a tiny hole somewhere. So mm-hmm. paintball is no more arbitrary than any sport. It's just we haven't been able to make it as popular or widely spread. Right, and it's and it's a lot younger than a lot of sports, you know. Some of these sports are 100 years plus. We're in the like 30, 35, 40 year mark or whatever. So it's we're a lot younger than a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, how did you, what was the transition like? 
and and how did it come about from going from novice to to avalanche that's a good question i actually the the first person to scout me was uh steve rabikoff and davy williamson around the same time so davy had like i've been you know i played at sc village so all the pro teams were playing there like all the tournament teams it was a big like mecca for for teams back then were you from california yeah, so oh. I was from SoCal. Uh, SC Village was LA, so we drove like an hour and a half to get there. Mm-hmm. But that's where everyone played, so you went there. It was like they had three premium hyperball fields, pro teams showing up here and there. All the local teams would play there, Ironman. So um, I worked with Rab, and Rab, you know, obviously I knew him, so then he saw me out at practicing or whatever, and then he said, hey, come do an avalanche practice. So I was like, okay, cool, dude, that's awesome. Like. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I make the team or not. I just want to go like see what these guys got. What was that like? So I went an, to an old av- school avalanche practice. Yeah, it was it was intense. You know, these guys are all <laughs> stars. These are all the push video guys. And yeah. I'm like, dude, I get to go play. Like I told all my friends, I'm going to go. I don't care if I get one game in. I'll go stand around like whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're like, hey, run to the sub on the break. I'm like, sure. <laughs> hey, run to the uh, dive in the diamond on the break. I'm like, sure. I don't care. Like I'll do whatever. So mm-hmm. that's all they did was just run me far places and. I'd shoot a guy, trade out with a guy or whatever, do whatever the job was. And then, like, I, I, they had, like, 14 guys. So I went to a practice, and then I didn't talk to them about it or go to any they, – they didn't practice in California. They kind of practiced where the tournaments were or whatever. So I didn't, like, link up with them for – and I'm still playing, like, local tournaments with my brother and everything. So I went to a random practice, and then Davey had mentioned, hey, you should come out to an Ironman practice, but that didn't – like, nothing happened of that, but he had mentioned it. And then I was at a practice with um, Check It Factory, and we were practicing uh, Hyperball. I think we were playing Dynasty, which was Cap at the time, and I remember there too. And I was having a good day shooting guys out and, you know, just doing my thing, getting in the 50s and doing work. And then Shane was like, hey, are you playing – this was Shaner, Shane Mm -hmm. Pisano, which I watched the old Ironman Texas – the old Ironman, like, VCR tape video. So this guy's like – superstar because he goes back to like the tapes not even push video but <laughs> further back for me yeah and he's like hey are you playing chicago i go yeah i'm playing with um me and my brother are playing with this team that we're on check it and he goes i will pay for your flight and buy you out of playing with them today to play with the ironman and i was like whoa like that's serious but i didn't want to bail on my brother and my team so i was like i right. can't do that but that sounded like dude that's cool that he made that offer and he's like you know, seriously come play, be on the team and you'll learn from the team and all that. And then they had still had Marty Bush and like all these legendary Ironman guys were still on the team and Oliver was on the team at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool, but I didn't want to bail on my brother and it was two weeks prior to the event. So I was like, no, I can't do that. <clears throat> so then they invited me out to come to a practice and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll come to a practice or whatever. And then Rab obviously knew I was going to a practice. He's like, yeah, but I want you to come to an avalanche practice. So he was getting more serious about having me come out. Yeah. <clears throat> so I went to an Ironman practice and had a good day with them up at Rich's Field. And they actually ended up winning a seven on three or something ridiculous where I shot all seven of the other guys that we were playing. It was like just one of those games. Like I just Everything went over was, here, yeah. shot a guy, made a move here, ended up bunkering, like coming around the field and bunkering like a snake guy. And what was cool was – um. Clayton was out there who was from the old like VCR tape Ironman uh, days. And mm-hmm. he was like, you know, an arrogant, very like cocky guy in the, in the videos. And I came off the field after having that game and I felt pretty good. And he's like, a couple more games like that. You might actually make this team. And I was just like, just kind of laughing. I was like, dude, that's so awesome. Like that just fits the whole thing, dude. I was like, it's so cool. 
And I was just like, okay. And then they wanted me to play on the team, but I told Rab I would go to practice. And I worked with Rab too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I kind of want to play for the Ironman. I told Rab I liked the guys. Everything seemed cool. I had a good practice and they wanted me to play. And they were like trying to get an answer out of me before I left the practice. But I was like, already had told Rab I, I would go and I don't want to break that commitment. So I'm like, no, I'm going to go to an avalanche practice. So then I went to an avalanche practice up in Seattle and um, Rab's like, just come to it. Just come to it. Just if you don't like it, fine, go play with the Ironman. Just come to at least come to the practice. So in my mind, I feel good because I already have like a spot in the Ironman. So it's mm-hmm. like the pressure is kind of off because like, I'll go to the avalanche practice. If they don't like me, whatever, I'm going to play on the Ironman. So I felt pretty good about that. And then Greg Pauly actually was at that practice trying out too. This is back when, you know, most people don't know, but Greg was a, a baller back then. So Greg's at this practice trying out. Yeah. I didn't even know who it was. They're like this guy, Greg, he, he snapshots every single day, like the training maniac or whatever. I was like, cool or whatever. So I went and had a pretty good practice and I ended up making the team. Uh, they didn't end up picking up Greg. I don't know if it's because they looked at Greg and, thought this guy looks kind of strange or he's different or whatever yeah. but I, I wasn't enough like of a point to ask who what your decision making process was i know they gave me a spot on the team as like the 13th or 14th guy coming in as like a nobody mm-hmm. like i really like novice to now i got on avalanche so and i really liked all the guys once i met john and lb and travis and they're like dude they're real encouraging like come on the team you know and rab of course is a salesman so he's like selling how it's going to be and and they were like an all-star team, you know, you're going to play with Lasoya and all these like legendary guys. <clears throat> so I ended up liking everyone on the team. Todd was on the team. So there was a lot of good factors to that. So I ended up just getting on with them. So that's how I ended up going from, you know, nowhere to, to pro. But then like in that time period, like people were just like hearing that I was going to go play with Avalanche or whatever. So they were like poking, they're like, Oh, like, you know, why don't you come check out lockout or, you could come on image and you could go to the, cause I worked for Diablo. Like you could go to the tournaments early and then you could like Richmond's like come to image and I'll let you have time to go to the tournaments early, help set up and be at the tournaments. Like mm-hmm. all these extra little like last minute offers were coming in. Cause I, I, you know, people had heard I was going to avalanche. So then people were trying to make like a last minute scoop, which was kind of cool. Like have all these different teams. I didn't know, like kind of putting offers towards me. Yeah. But I'd already went you know, with avalanche and it was fun. And I ended up going with them, which was, you know, ended up being a, a good choice in my career because I ended up going with Infamous, the same group of guys I sort of kept playing with for a long period. Lasoya, LB, John, Travis, that like that core group of guys, we formed Infamous and we carried that for a, a long period of time with the core. Yeah. So, Do you think that's where you kind of find your, that's where you found your playing style and your, 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 your limitations and your, your, you know your abilities is on avalanche kind of where you you found who you were as a as a player i feel like um i did learn a ton from certain guys you know certain guys were going to foster you into like you know obviously john molded me and always was working on teaching me things and everything i learned a lot of his style but i never developed into john right. like i never i never was an open space player like you played that more open space getting out in the space and and making uh unorthodox moves I was very just like safe, strategic move here, move here, move here, move here, try and aim and shoot people. Mm-hmm. Whereas like John more played that open space, but he, he learned to play off me and I learned to play off him, which was really good. So as yeah. we paired throughout, we had pretty good success together because we knew what each other was going to do. And we, and we played different, which was good because we kind of balanced each other out. So yeah. I, I feel like he groomed me in a certain way that he, he sort of groomed me to, 
to be what he wanted me to do so that he could, you know, excel on his own. So yeah. there was a certain, certain level of groom, but there was an edge that those guys obviously give you, you know, having that, like they've reached an apex level during the peak of paintball and 10 man. And these guys are superstars. So they bring you into having that confidence and that like superstar mentality of like that edge to, you know, try and dominate where you're not feeling, you know, like you're on the bottom or you're not confident in what you're doing. So those guys sort of give you that attitude as well. Mm-hmm. So you can go out and beat top teams with top players and you stop thinking about that and you're more just competing and, and you know, you have good people next to you. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of John, man, I'm, he was one of the players I, I really enjoyed watching and, and I feel like I've, I kind of developed a style around and, uh, I feel like he kind of developed around the soya too. Like, like those old school, like I, I miss the seven man run throughs and the whole, the, I think seven man was such a good number of, of, it was a good pace. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't too long and drawn out how 10 man can be. Um, it wasn't super short and repetitive like X ball is. It's like, it's such a happy medium. And I feel like it, it also brings out, which I think what X ball tends not to do is I feel like the seven man, the MPBL, it brought out the, the unique moves and the, the, the one-off moves that you, you only think about in the moment because it's not, you can't repeat, like you can repeat moves in a tournament in a seven man tournament because you, you, eventually you play the fields over and over and over again um but it's not something that you you practice a bunch on that exact field prior to the event like you would an x-ball field you know right and and i feel like that's what that's what the game today is missing is you're not seeing i mean there there are organic moves being made at the event but i, I would say 90% of what's happening on the field has has already been played out at practice exactly at practice and yeah for sure and I, it's like in the first practice you have like some creative things happening because no one knows what's going on fun. and then the second practice like a lot of that's eliminated yeah, it's like, like that's all locked out that, yeah yeah because in seven man you just needed to work once like have it work in that game and you're 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 fucking golden do a run through shoot three guys and then have everybody else clean up great but you can go and play X ball and have one great point, but that's only two and a half minutes of a 20 minute match or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. X ball is a very forgiving game. So yeah, it's like the law of average. Like you're, you're, you're a good team. The law of average, you're going to win more points. So Mm -hmm. you kind of want to play more points if you're a good team because you're going to win more of those. Yeah. Whereas like, like you said, seven man, you get one shot. So it's like you lose that and that team got you and you move on to the next one. What do you prefer? So I've always, I've always leaned towards X ball in terms of sport and seven man in terms of game. And that's kind of the difference to me. I agree. Seven man was a great game. It was a really fun game to play. Um, but it was, that's what it was. It was a game because it's like, you know, it's harder to uh, like say, Hey, let's go watch this team play. Like in football, you play a lot of plays in basketball. You play a lot. It's a sport. Whereas X ball is closer to a sport. You play a lot and, and the good, the better team should win over over the course of the the match. I think our matches are way too short now. I think they're ridiculously short. It's like you're just getting your juices flowing, and it's like now you're down three points, and the team's sitting on you, and the match is sort of like clamping down. Yeah. So it's not like I think the I think the the sport of X ball is super compacted to 
maximize efficiency on the field to have 20 pro teams and to make that field more affordable or profitable or whatever. Time so efficient. the matches are super intense. So yeah. that's okay. I think we can have 20 teams. I think prelims should be race to seven. What I think, though, needs to change is, like, once you get to the next round, maybe it's race to nine. And once you get to the, like, next round, it's race to something, and, and maybe it's no race. It's just whoever wins at the end of the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what it is for the final match. Like, you don't want to watch a final match and one team wins three points and you kind of know it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, let's see who, like, out of 15 points played, like, who wins that. So let's see, you know, back in, like, X-Ball, X-Ball days, like Miami Effect, I mean, we would go down 7-0 and feel good about the match. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, we lost seven like, points, but there's still 40, 40 minutes left in the match. Yeah, so I like, like the other side of the field anyway. Run. So I'm going to go, yeah, yeah, so, we're gonna go yeah. play that half. Yeah, you, and you had a halftime. So it's like mm-hmm. halftime hits and you come out and you score seven points. And all of a sudden it's a tied game. It was like, that was a sport. Mm-hmm. Now we play this like micro version, very compacted version of what we used to play. Yeah. So as a coach, like I would have loved to coach in those full matches because that's like, wow, that's a whole bunch of stuff you could play with strategy. It's a now war. it's so tight. It's like you run one play and it's like that play has got to gotta net you a point. It's so tight yeah. and the decisions are so tight. Whereas before you'd be like, dude, run to the snake on the break three times in a row. Who cares? Like mm-hmm. let's experiment and let's play. It's going to be a full war of attrition. Now it's like you right. got to be so accurate, so pinpoint. Yeah, it's just different. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I love the current – standing i liked when we played bigger matches and maybe and it makes sense like yeah it doesn't make sense to have a prelim game where you beat on some low level team and you beat them 16-0 so maybe that's why there needs to be a race to seven in the beginning so it's like you're weeding out those sort of like blowout matches that no one wants to watch yeah they're lesser and then as you get to the like good teams i want to see you know like x factor play impact and and crush each other for a good amount of time to see who really is like making the adjustments, how it's evolving, who's doing what. Yeah. Like, you don't see that. It's just not current. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I watched some of the matches from Vegas and they were two to one, three to two, I'm like, Jeez, like it, it's you, you, yeah, you, it's like we said, you get these teams that go up a couple points and then guys, guys are so high level. Now there's, there's such a high level, of technicality and 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 IQ and everything now, where they know that they don't have to go anywhere. If if I'm up two points on you, I can sit here and have another guy sit there and cross, and we will guarantee it might not look fun or whatever, but we will guarantee win this point and win and win the match. And it's just like, is that what we've come to? Like, have we have we gotten so good and so yeah, technical no, like- as a player to where it's like we don't have to we don't have to risk shit anymore? When I feel like games back then, seven man, and even like we were just talking about X ball of old, it was about the risks because the outcome, you know, because there there is a second half and there there are more points to be played. When now it's just like if you screw up two points in a row, God forbid three. Um, even if you barely lost those three, you could be fucked for, oh, for yeah. the game. It's not even uh, like the pro, the pro division. Like I go coach coaching dynasty. I still, I have some room, a little, I say it's tight, but when you go to divisional play, forget about that. Yeah. You're, you're talking most of the scores there are like two, 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 three, like, and then you're like, okay, you got to run your best guys and right. you have to like, you know, even being up two points in the match is already like, the times lower, the race is lower. You're up two zero. That's nothing. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's now they come out and win a point. You're only up a point and they tie. Like you see so many ties over there and the matches just end in a tie, but they don't have to the, the decisions they make over there is so much tighter than like even the pros, the pros still have a race to seven. So being in these tighter, smaller races is actually like harder. When I go coach, I'm yeah. like, there's nothing to play with. I can't scout the other team. I can't make adjustments. It's like, you just got to hope your, your plays that you sort of picked roll with those hope you win with those and, and move on but over That's, there it's tight it's hard for divisionals so like i help a lot yeah. of coaches but it's like you know i do a lot of scouting i'm scouting in game a lot of the stuff i do they they don't have a big enough window to even concern themselves with that as much mm-hmm. like if you're scouting a divisional game and they played four points what do you really see <laughs> they ran to the corner once and they have two lines they, uh, didn't run to the corner the next one right okay that was the scouting that's all we got they only played you know three points that's tough like, man you know being being a divisional team like that who might not have a bunch of money or or you do i mean i don't know but you spend all that money and you play hardly any paintball at an event i mean that's got to be that's yeah. that's tough yeah for sure i mean, I mean it's it's a mix of like guys that you know they have 10 guys on the team so they can make it more affordable but then mm-hmm. you don't have space to put all 10 guys in so then it's like you know how do you know i guess some people enjoy the the participation in the activity right like you go there you're part of the team you get one point in that's good for you or whatever and then it goes both ways sometimes i'm like helping a team and i'm trying to get this guy in and he's like good for his one point he doesn't want to go again he's <laughs> like i'm maxed out like yeah not you know they're not athletes he's like can't go again they're dumping water forget about that so <laughs> sometimes you're like you want you think these people want to get in like you and i do but mm. that's not it's not always the case you know they're just like i get my points my, i take a break i get my point again it's, yep you see a lot of different things so <laughs> so maybe some of that paintball for some of them is enough you know get your point that's true. take one off get a point so I guess people are happy how it is there. A lot of people show up still. So yeah. it's just different because you and I were came through different, different shades of the tournament style. Mm. What, um, what's been your favorite team to, to be involved with through your career, whether playing or coaching? Um, that's a hard question to answer. Like obviously infamous was my, uh, heart and soul because I came from those guys with avalanche and I played with John for so long, but you know, I enjoyed parts of my excessive run, even though that was like a very small window. We were mm. very successful in that window. That was a played run. with you and we had a good team. Um, and then at the tail end of my whole thing, getting on dynasty, just playing with that group and how competitive they are and how hard they work was, it was a much different atmosphere than infamous who was a little more loose and like, experience was fun on and off the field whereas like dynasty was very driven to compete which they had a lot of success in that mm-hmm. so i've had enjoyments as i got older like obviously infamous was fun when we were younger we we're running around and we were wild and and crazy it was a it was a, it was a fun time and and going on dynasty as i got older was a lot a lot it just fit my my lifestyle as i got you know married and started having kids and, and i'm with a more competitive focus group Mm. It just fit better. So I'd say the enjoyment was just different at times. Right. So I really enjoyed my time on infamous, my time on excessive for what it was. And my time on dynasty has been quite enjoyable. So, but, but it all fits the phases of my life. So right. it's a, it's a tribalism, right? So I just moved yeah. to a tribe that fits better to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So 
that was sort of, and I wouldn't have thought like, Hey, you know, I'm, I played against dynasty and they were a big rival when I was on infamous, they were a big rival when I was on excessive, they were, everyone had a target on them, obviously through our whole careers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I didn't think like at the end I would end up going to the team and then coaching the team and being with the team for so long. It was, yeah. But, you know, same thing when I was a walk-on shooting an angel of Chris Lasoya. You just don't know how – you don't know how the path's going to go. You just got to go down it. Yeah. So what – how how did you make the decision or how how did the decision come about that to to hang up your, your, your playing gear? And uh, how did the dynasty coaching uh, job open up for you? So – I, when I was, I was going to retire from infamous cause they were moving the team to the Midwest. Travis was going to bring it back, get Damien, get Brad, Drew Templeton. They were going to get all these Midwest guys and, uh, move the team out of California. Cause we stopped, we didn't have as many people there anyway. So mm-hmm. it kind of made sense. But then I was like, I don't want to start flying to practices and doing all that. So I was just have Jess was about to have a kid, our first kid Carter. So I was like, she's obviously pressuring like, Hey, hang it up. You know, how long have you done this? Like right. you really keep doing it. Like you've had success, like give it up. So then I was out at a, a practice and Glenn, Oliver, a couple of guys were talking to me and I was out there just, it was a local tournament. They were out there practicing and they were saying they were going to have gaps in their schedule where guys were going to go to weddings or whatever. And they're like, we could just have you on the roster, have you in the like practice squads here and there when we're going to drop you in. So they would just call me up and say, come to practice and then you'll play a seven man or an X ball or mm-hmm. whatever they were short. So I said, that sounds cool to be like, you know, I don't have to be so committed to all these practices and so committed to all this tournament schedule where I could just go, you know, and, and they had just won the, the series title the year before in both X ball and seven man. So they were a successful team at the time too. And then they're inviting me to be this like kind of walk on player. So I was like, why would I not take that off? Right. You know, so then I was like, okay. So I go to their practices and end up making the team. And then like a week before Dallas, they call me and they're like, hey, you know, we need you to come to Dallas, come to the practice this weekend. We're going to bring you to Dallas. And I'm like, okay. I, I did. I assumed they didn't need anyone at the beginning of the season because mm-hmm. no one was going to miss the event. So I was sort of just like, whatever, they'll call me when they need me. So then I ended up going to practice, going to the tournaments. Then I ended up going to like almost all the tournaments that year. So it yeah. wasn't like the situation that I sort of signed up for. <laughs> But it was fun and it was a different group and it was new and different. So I was going to all that. And then Mike was coaching the whole year and we had that rough patch where we just had, you know, unsuccessful stints of, you know, bad luck and different things happening to us. And we had all the caliber players. We, sh- we were underperforming right. for, the, for the roster that we had. Mouse and all the guys were on there, Dalton. And we were underperforming. And then obviously Mike left and then. Yosh invited me out of the blue to, to come down to like Bubs and PB, and I was like, okay, either they're gonna like, I don't know, it's very fashionable for them to face to face like cut me from the team. I don't know, we weren't doing well, so maybe they were just cutting down on players. Right. So I was just thinking, okay, I'm gonna go. Down. I don't ever really go down, and you know, it was out of the blue. I was like, okay, maybe they're just gonna like cut me or you know just let me know they don't they don't need me, which I was an extra guy anyway. So I was, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. So I go meet him, and the first thing he says is, like, I'm just going to put it out there. And he's like, we want to have you coach the team and fill in as the coach. And I just said, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, Because I was kind of partially, like, Mike was coaching, but I was, like, helping have the side conversations with guys and keep things moving. And it was always sort of a, like, did that anyways on teams I was on. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, that sounds like a cool challenge, and, and I could do that. And I don't have to, like, be so committed to the grind of, like, 
you know, you have practices that pros go to, but outside of the practice, you know how it is. You got to be snap shooting. You got to be doing your shooting drill. You got to be running and staying in shape. So besides the practices that you commit to, there's the rest of your outside life, you're driven to perform and you're doing all these things. So I could cut that out, still go to practices and still go to tournaments and sort of lessen the time that I'm having to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll try that. And then I ended up, that's how I ended up transitioning into coaching, which I was sort of semi-retired anyways in my mind. And I was having this sort of experience with these guys and I was sort of just an extra guy. So then I transitioned into coaching and then I did it and it was fun. We won Vegas, the first event I coached. And then that, that sort of obviously was like, okay, this was cool. And then I came back and then kept doing it. And then I sort of like, then I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to keep doing this, I got to like develop some strategies and mm-hmm. get better at scouting. And like, you know, I had to write up, make up this stuff on my own. No one was like, here's the manual, like follow. And here's how to coach a team. And here's how to like scout other teams and come up with strategies. I just had to like take my own stuff that I knew bits of like what I had seen coaches do for me or not do. Like I wanted to do some of the opposite things that coaches had done. Right. So I applied some of that to what I was doing and, you know, it's, it's not easy over time to motivate the group. Like you come out and sometimes you have that bone where you can throw it in there and everyone gets, you know, gets in the, in the zone, but you can't, yep. you don't always have that. So it's like, now you're at the next event you have to rebuild everything and get everyone back in the same and, and have that spark again. And yeah, so it's fun to, to like, you can have that and you can deliver that, um, strategy. You can deliver that bone to get everyone motivated and you can pull it together you know, that's the, the fun part of it. So is it tough? And I think the loss is just like playing. Yeah. Like right. If we lose. I, I, it's the same as when I played. Yeah. I'm not like, you know, you guys got shot out, like <laughs> whatever. I'm just like, I'm as mad and I'm thinking about the things I should have done, who I put in instead of this guy and all the different mm. parts of that, that I had control over. I'm thinking about that too. So, and then I still have to have conversations with people. The tournament ends, but I got to talk to people and why this happened and what that and prepare for the next one. So right. it's, it's different, but it's the same. It's a, it's, it's strategically fun. So that's why I like it. Cause I know, I know there's a lot of coaches out there or people who think they can coach, but I always wondered and imagined what it's like to coach so many personalities and, and, uh, a team caliber like dynasty and, you know, is it, do you have, do you feel like you have to manage the, the guys's, uh, egos or do you kind of, do you let them know, like if, if somebody's kind of like getting out of hand or do you have the team kind of settle that and you just kind of wrangle everybody else together? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you kind of let a guy know that he's kind of like, Hey man. Yeah, there's, there's for sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's for sure that element, like, you know, and I laughed this, I laughed at the start of this season cause it's like, we're starting a new season and I get out to practice and it's like two points in and they're like, you, you idiot, you died, you did this. And I'm like, dude, it's just like, now the season has started. It's just like, now you're back to like, all right, calm down. Don't talk to him like that. If you have something, come talk to me. Like mm-hmm. we're brand new on this field. We haven't even seen the layout and we're already like two points in that we probably won. And we're still fighting with each other. It's just like, yeah, I mean, there's a sense of like managing guys and and guys have pretty good trust coming to me to talk about stuff. But it's, you know, I feel like 
I do have an advantage as a coach because I played with these guys, mm-hmm. played against them for so long, played with them, so I sort of earned a certain level of respect. And I do understand the, the grind, and I understand it's not easy. So, like, when I'm talking to them, I know it's not, like, why'd you get shot doing this? So I already know why I played it. So I'm more like, what can we do to avoid that situation? And could we do this instead? Like, we're, we're a bit more exploring where, like, I was in those shoots. Right. So I feel like I get I get more done and I and I have a certain level of respect that I get because I was in that, you know, whereas some coaches don't have that same credential. Dave Baines obviously has a good advantage with his team. He has sort of everything. Like he was a top tier player. Um, he played with that team and then turned into a coach on that team. And, you know, the team's well backed and, and Dave's sort of a good manager of getting guys over. He has the flexibility to get players that he wants, mm-hmm. but he can, you know, he played on teams and he's building it from the mindset of him being on the team. So he's p- pulling in the guys that he would want to have around him and everything. So same thing. So when you have a coach that's sort of from that group and has gone through the trenches with that group, it's obviously going to have a stronger bond than, uh, a coach that randomly comes from somewhere else and is trying to trying to manage everyone and doesn't quite have the, you got to have a lot of credential to coach some of these top tier guys, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, that definitely helps, but it is, it's, it comes with the challenge of managing these guys and that's part of it. It's not going to change. It's not like I'm going to be like, don't do that anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's every, it's every pro team and every, every structured team that you look at, there's going to be players that have to be managed or in certain ways. Mm-hmm. NFL, NBA, they're they're all they exist everywhere. Kevin Durant just got a technical and got kicked out of a playoff game the other day, and it's like, dude, you're a top tier player, and like you're behaving like that. You're a top five NBA player, so it's it's not exclusive to paintball. It's every sport. Mm-hmm. The coach has to go to him and go, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, you have to be able to, you have to be a coachable player, but then as a coach, you have to be able to coach uncoachable players. You know yeah, I mean? and like... I and I feel like you have to. Uh, for me, I, I'm I'm good at gathering information. That's why a lot of people come to the pit and they're like, "You're so quiet, you're so calm." It's like my brain is. I'm listening to this guy. I'm I'm over. I'm list, trying to listen to him and what he's directly saying, but I'm also trying to listen to the two guys over here who are talking about something that I need to know because I'm drawing the play. Mm-hmm. So they're saying it's I couldn't get out to the corner because the guy in the back center was shooting or whatever. So I have to like piece these different things together and ask questions. So this guy tells me something, but then I need to go ask this guy a question. So I'm sort of like a collector. I'm not just like, here's what we have to do blindly. I'm like, I've gathered, you know, parts and pieces as fast as I can. And then I ask a couple questions and then here's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking like, really good information because I have high caliber intelligent players. So I'm not overriding them. Like, you know, obviously they have an ego or they're, or they're really good. I can't just override that information and be like, no, that's how I see it. That'll get me in trouble fast. Cause then it's like, right. You know, why aren't you listening to what we're saying? And mm-hmm. you know, some coaches coach, like coach with iron fist and then the players get frustrated. Cause it's like, dude, he's calling these stupid plays or whatever. I'm calling collective plays and we, and we, during our meetings we're putting together plays as a group and I have really good guys to work with and, and we build confidence in the plays. So I'm lucky on that part, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's where the happy medium and the trust around and the respect around needs to be because, you know, the coach isn't always right and the players aren't aren't always right. You know, it's, it's no matter who you are as a coach and no matter who you are as a player, 
Um, obviously, the, the more higher caliber players and coaches make l less of those mistakes, but they will make mistakes, uh, you know, regardless. I, there was like a, wasn't there like, there was like a video and it was like Bart and uh, they're like, the play was wrong and, and Bart's like, fuck the play. Yeah, we're going to get the play wrong sometimes. Fucking deal with it. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, totally. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. What do you, you know, we're not batting 100% up here. You go out there and get shot in the face. Sometimes we call the wrong play. So what? That's you that's know? the thing. You you have to be able to, you have to be able to point the finger at yourself and move on sometimes. And some people, yeah, some players can't get over it. Yeah. 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 Totally. They're, you know, and I try and manage, like, let's not go have side conversations about it. Like, let's just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Be open. If we're still in the tournament, let's get that pass, you know, get past whatever that is, and let's figure out what's going to work best. Yeah, clock doesn't stop. Little, yeah, rather yeah. than have these little side conversations that you're unhappy about this or that, like let's just talk about it yeah. as a group and move past it. And we're good about that. Like we put stuff out there and air it out. Well, man, so. I, I appreciate you sitting down to talk with me. Uh, it's It's been really cool to hear your story and, and kind of hear your mindset about things and uh, – be able to talk to you like i've always i've always said this with a lot of guys i have on here um is you know i've played with you i played against you and i've never had this long of a conversation with you <laughs> you know and that's what's <laughs> so cool about having these podcasts is you can you you think you know somebody but then you actually like when you take the time to sit down and open up with with someone and kind of hear more of how they think um but more or less why they think a certain way or, or do something that I think yeah. that's, what's really good for me as far as like, not just gaining information, but, but understanding people more. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because when I first got on dynasty, like guys are very set in like, uh, Alex and Yosh room together, Ryan and Oliver room together is like, so when I started coaching, I was like, we're not doing that anymore. We're just doing a random room draw. We'll just draw names out of a hat and you room with these, whoever, because like you said, you and I haven't, like if we shared a hotel room together, we would have talked and we would have talked about things and like, you know, I would have got to know you better. But like when you're on these cliques of teams and there's these people that room together exclusively, it's like, mm -hmm. it's hard for you to uh, forge these bonds and everything. So once I took over Dynasty, I was like, we're not going to do that anymore because you spent most of the time you spend getting to know someone is, in, is rooming with them in the hotel. Yeah. So then we, we were able to uh, change that, which I felt good about that overall because then it made everyone tighter and everyone knows each other better. And it's not these small windows where you show up at the field playing the game and then you're gone. And then once you go back to the hotel, you don't see any of these people again. Because I was room with John or whoever on the team. Because hmm. that's, so that's just the way it was. That was the system we were in. So it's cool to be able to, like you said, engage and have these conversations. I actually listened to some of your podcasts. I, I like the one with Bart was really good. Yeah. I like some of the, I liked his stories of like hockey and car dealerships and everything was was pretty neat and interesting for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for and listening. And you're trying to you're trying to get at him for the uh, you know the the <laughs> rich teams versus the poor teams yeah. thing. I was thinking about that the other day actually. Like yeah. The, not just the advantage of going after like what players you could get. It's more it's more removing other elements from that player's life. You know that he could dedicate more mind to it and more body. Right. So like if you're like you come home and you have to go to work, that's a lot different. If you come home and then you have to go to the gym and work out and go during the week and do drills or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you can keep more of your mind. We're weekend warriors essentially. Yeah. 
But if you can, if you could add more, you'll get the edge. If you can add more things during the week that you can do paintball related versus just on the weekends, then you're going to have the edge over guys. So that's what the like teams that are funded are, are doing. It's yeah. not that they're, yes, they're also getting the cream of the crop. When a guy gets really good, they just grab them. That's certainly an advantage, but I think it's the, so a dynasty, we have really good players, but you know, obviously we're not in a position that people could just focus on that. When Tyler goes home, he has to do pest control and he has to focus on his family and his life. Right. Imagine if Tyler didn't have to do that. Like he would be insane. He's mm-hmm. already like playing insane. Imagine if he could dedicate more time to it, you know? So that's the advantages afforded by well-funded teams. I was just randomly thinking about that the other day. Yeah. I thought about that too. I was like, man, I, I know that's one, that's one of my regrets playing. And I know everybody's like, Oh, don't, don't have regrets. But I, I know I could have worked harder and I only could have, I only can imagine what it would have been like and, and what, how fast I could have been, or even my, my gameplay could have been if I could have 100% focused on that. Like I come home, I go to the gym, I go to the field. Right. You know what I mean? And, totally. and just yeah, yeah. what that could have been like. It's insane. And then yeah, having a team and, full and of we, guys like that. We had a, we had a bit of, that's what like, you know, when we were on excessive, like, me, Davey, and John, you know, none of us were really working. We were just, we were making enough, a little bit. We weren't making a ton, but we were making enough that we could just go to the gym together. We'd go to the park and run drills and do things. We'd go to the field and run drills. Like, we were able to do those little bits, but that's what gave us the edge. Mm-hmm. So during that window, like, we were, we had a pretty dominant team. And, and all the other guys outside of us, you and all the other guys were just so hungry. Like, you were just committing your, your frame to that. But that's hard to do over a stretch of 10 15 20 years yeah. and you're not making millions of dollars you know it's like <laughs> you 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 say you regret not doing that but it's like dude seriously like you're gonna pour everything you have to work at like a professional athlete level into um what's essentially not going to give you back the mm-hmm. same return but you you're passionate about it and you love it and that's why you do it but it would certainly be nice to be able to you know do that have a reward for it and uh yeah you know the best of yeah, having a return for a lot of because I mean there's so many guys that you know the return definitely the the return has been more in relationships and friendships more than financially. Um, dude, wait till you get to a ten man event. <laughs> dude, it's it's rad, dude. I'm I, coming to that Chicago. I'm excited. And you're gonna play show, right? Yeah, I'll be at Chicago and I'll be at uh, the Iron City Classic. Okay, I'm gonna come to both of those. I'll see you there. Oh yeah, man, it's gonna be good. So. uh Dude, thank you again so much. Um, where can people find you? Where can they find uh, Constant Pursuit? ConstantPursuit.com is my business website. And most players are going to find me on DKIPaintball.com. I'm doing a ton of training stuff on there. That's right. I'm one of the professors there. So I'm always putting out online training, coaching training, and we're always putting out content to all the members. So we've, we took that over from Grayson, and we've done a pretty good job growing that. And we brought in all these different professors and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I have to hit you up for a, a piece to put in there. I'm all, I'm here, man. I'm I'm good yeah. to go. <laughs> well, sweet dude, cool. um, stick around for just a few minutes after this. Uh, I, I want to yeah. throw something your way, get your opinion on it. But um, but yeah, thank you so much, man. And I will, oh, man. That uh, Chicago event's like right around the corner. I feel that ten man one. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be fun. That'll be a lot of classic players like that bad boy. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. Thank you again, Rusty. I really appreciate it. 
Uh, it was great talking to you, man, and we will talk to you soon. Uh, this episode, again, is brought to you by Charm City Paintball. Head game guru Mike at Charm City Paintball is making the best headgear out there right now, ladies and gentlemen. It is one of a kind. It is hand-sewn by the man himself, and he, he just does great work. It's, it's amazing. If you guys are in need of any kind of headgear or, or anything like that, please hit him up. He is also willing to do custom work. Uh, he does one-off headbands all the time. He has this... Uh, he's only made probably be, probably, probably a small handful of these American flag ones that are amazing. Uh, I, the, the time and just, just ability to do that have, were, were, were amazing. I'm, I'm super proud to own one, but, uh, but yeah, make sure you hit him up. He's willing to work with you guys. He, he wants to continue, uh, this, this business, this style and, um, it needs to come back, and I feel like it is coming back with all the old school stuff that's coming back. Hopefully, semi-auto is coming back, and all that good shit where you actually have to learn. I don't even want to get into that rant. Anyway, um, but thank you, Charm City, for uh, sponsoring the podcast. And uh, make sure you guys, if if I know I've been kind of slacking on this, and you know it's been kind of a weird uh, a weird journey as of late. It's got a lot on my mind uh, with. You know, I'll be honest with you. You know, it's been tough not not playing, and you know, retirement for me has kind of been bittersweet. And I, I wish, man, I don't know. It's it's like it's weird because maybe maybe the reason I'm I've been kind of slacking on the podcast are because you know it kind of reminds me of playing, and I'm not playing. So it kind of hurt, it hurts. I don't know. It's it's weird when I put it like that, but it's like it. it you know, I I want to play, and I want to be involved, and I want to do this, but I also want to spend time with the family, and um, I, I just wish I w- I wish I could do both, and it's so hard in you know in my situation to have my cake and eat it too, kind of a thing, uh, but. You know, I want to stay involved, and if this is if this is how I do it, then then this is how I do it. I just need to stop being a little bitch and just start doing it. So uh, I just want to apologize for uh, for not being as you know current with uh, keeping up with the podcast and everything. So, but I I, I promise you, I intend on doing so, and it's um, you know it's it's coming along. I appreciate you guys sticking with me. I appreciate everybody listening. It's it's awesome the feedback that I get. And uh, remember, everybody, please, 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 uh, do not text and drive. Make sure that you keeping your eyes on the road. Listen to podcasts. That's that's a great reason to listen to podcasts. And um, if you guys do want to support the uh, you know the podcast itself, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash/ThePlayingOnPodcast. And, um, and support it that way. But, uh, but yeah, keep your eyes on the road. Thank you all. Appreciate you all. Love y'all. Keep playing every weekend. Uh, get better. Challenge yourself. You know, play one weekend all left-handed or something. You know, just challenge yourself, man. Nothing in life is easy. When you go have a great weekend, it's because you challenged yourself and you overcame the obstacle. It's, uh, it's not because you went out there and you just shit on everybody because you know you could. It's, um, you want to go in every weekend kind of, you know, giving yourself a challenge, putting the speed bumps in front of yourself 
and, and overcoming them and you know, getting better every single weekend, every single day. And, uh, and yeah, that's my, that's my go at it. So, uh, thank you everybody again. Appreciate it. And we will see you all here soon on the Playground Podcast. <laughs> I had, like spit in the back of my throat. We'll see you guys. Love you. Peace.